Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. I am your host today, Jared Lee, but I am not alone. I am joined by the formidable Rosina Smith, Chief Product Officer of McKinsey Intelligence Services. Welcome, my friend. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. I mean, you're taking in, you're stepping into the Ben Rose's very impressive co-hosting shoes today. So I've got a a lot to dive into and things. I know. I feel the pressure. Yeah. I'm watching the podcast, as you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm feeling the pressure. Let's hope I can uh, match his... uh, you're going to do excellent. Yeah. Let's start. Replacing a rose with a rose, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I don't. We don't like to stem too far from our traditional branch. Yeah, this of way. course. Yeah, of nice, course. Nice. <laughs> um, but uh, you are in the sort of the insure tech space, but like us, are someone who's come from the industry. Like, yes. Walk us through sort of the early parts of your career, how you found the reinsurance insurance space, and then we'll dive loads more into what you at and the team at MIS are doing and everything else. But I think you share that sort of journey from academia into early into in right into the weeds of the industries. Yeah, exactly. Like many people, you just find yourself dropped in on a graduate program in a large insurer, reinsurance business. And you think, wow, how does this place function? (laughs) How does this work? Yeah. Yeah. How, How do these places exist? And, um, that was a great experience for me. I was at Allianz for eight years. Yeah. I got to work with fantastic people, uh, work in different countries. It was really, really great. Mm. Um, and then I've kind of got, you know, the bug for bringing new stuff in. Yeah. You put something useful in front of an underwriter that they've not seen before. It's a really good way to make friends. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, when you can actually make some innovation land and you see people using it in the business, it was, yeah. it was just brilliant. Because you started doing sort of geospatial work within yeah. Allianz. What was that What was that work look like? What, were you, what problems were you trying to solve within so Allianz it started, there? We never called it geospatial to begin mm. with. We started talking about, oh, there's this, there's this peril in the UK. It's pretty tricky. It's called flood. How do we respond to it? And sure. at the time, lots of vendors in the market were bringing out new flood products. Mm-hmm. Um, we had sort of the the flooding of 2009, Somerset floods, um, and everyone sort of realized, okay, flooding is a serious issue that mm-hmm. we can't rely on postcode level maps any longer. And so, at, uh, you know, my role was to kind of look at those new data sets and figure out, are they useful? How mm-hmm. could we we deploy them? And, and the answer was they're very useful and this is actually pretty much a game changer. And yeah. we know that now because we all talk about flood models all the time. You know, yeah. They're completely um, valuable asset in insurance, reinsurance, broken communities, you know, and there's, there's lots of really great products out there. Um, but we started thinking about, well, what other perils can we, can we tackle in the same way and have a truly data-driven approach? And, and that's where kind of the whole geospatial thing grew out of. Sure. And I think traditionally reinsurers have been a lot better at making use of geospatial data than insurers. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we started to actually put it in again in the hands of the people using it, your your underwriters and your pricing actuaries, that's where the value of these things started you know, being realized. Yeah. Um, and that's what I started really enjoying. And I was like, okay, w- what about this fire data set? And everyone's like, yeah, fun. What yeah. about this? tree root ball data set no not so fun okay it's fine (laughs) yeah well and you can begin to see the emergence of your interest in the sort of the insure tech space right and then similar to me you're you're going there's some of these things we're introducing which are 
yeah. fundamentally changing the the sort of strategy of these organizations. Yeah. But it's just within this one place. You look across the industry and the opportunity to go in and have an impact more broadly is yeah. very obviously there. Yeah. Why do you think that sort of some parts of this industry have been slow to innovate in the past? Obviously, you've been within the biggest firms and as you're going into them now with with products to bring in, what are the sort of things that you're seeing that cause that slowness? I think it's really easy to blame the insurers and reinsurers and I think we often do as an industry we talk about we are slow and we're mm. we're not talking about insure tech when we say phrases like that but I don't think it's the case I think you know the reinsurance insurance community has so many things to focus on and we are driven by regulation um, and we are driven by doing the right thing for our existing clients day in day out and so the focus to to, to actually innovate is is secondary. Um, you know, people talk about oh, big bad insurers who make loads of money. I mean, let's look mm -hmm. at CORs. There's not loads of fat in this space. Yeah. So actually, I put I think there's more responsibility on the insure tech community and the vendor community to make the solutions so simple to understand, so simple to integrate, and so simple to realize the value yeah. that insurers can actually prioritize them and I sort of started realizing that at, you know whilst I was working big corporate mm. I had some really fascinating products come by my desk people saying can I show you this you know it's going to save all the problems that the insurance industry has ever experienced and I you look at them and you think yeah but you're about two years away from it being useful and you don't understand that and you yeah. that translation piece of having sat on the insurance side of things, even, you know, someone like you and Ben mm. who wants to change and just knowing that it's difficult because of all the other stuff you've got to do, which yep. is the right stuff to do. Yep. It, it kind of showed me that, well, the value is in building products that are easy for the industry to use um, and making it so obvious. Yeah. And, you know, you have to do the hard work as the insure tech to prove the value. It's not sort of just ping it over the fence and say, I've got a good idea. What do you think? Insure. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I think, I think that's spot on. And you, the, the importance of highlighting the value to them and making that something where they very obviously recognize that. And yeah. it's something they can easily onboard. Yeah. Is spot on. Yeah. Right. The number of, I remember being at an insure tech conference in London, this was maybe three or four years ago now. Um, and there was someone on, on stage talking about the thing that they were trying to do. And, and they weren't getting very much adoption. And yeah. and their position was, well, it's just because this industry is so slow, these people don't want to, under they can't understand technology or anything else. Yeah. And there was a direct challenge to them in that conversation going, there's no issue with this, our ability to, to use this software. Yeah. The issue is that you're not highlighting any real pain point that is fundamentally threatening our business yeah. and challenging us and in a way that makes me think I am going to spend a bunch of our company's resources, not only financially, but also with the time and everything else yeah. for a nice to have thing. And I think this is where we'll, we'll touch into McKinsey now. Um, you guys are doing some really, really interesting work. Tell us a bit about kind of the product that you products that you have in the market um, and where you're sort of pointing that value proposition towards the insurers and the reinsurers. Yeah. So our technology is a soft, software as a service um, offering. Uh, 
our core technology is called GEO, which stands for the Global Events Observer. Um, I have to get that right. It's a corrupt office. Um, which, you know, did, you, doing... did you name it? Is this a, did you name this product? No, I, I, no, I didn't. I didn't. I inherited it. I've come up with some alternative names, but none of them have made it through marketing, yeah, yeah. which is a good thing. Um, you know, so we, we are observing events that are happening across the globe on a 24-hour basis. And we define an event as anything that will give rise to a um, catastrophic uh, loss for our insurance community, mm-hmm. be that because of volume of claim, uh, claim count, or, um, y- you know, total insured value exposed. So we're monitoring um, the exposed assets that each of our insurers have on their books constantly to see, is there an event that's threatening um, a, a huge surge in claims mm-hmm. um, or any other you know, output that would lead to your claims teams having to to deliver a non-standard uh, response or anything that's going to r- cause a surge in loss-adjusting fees and availability or anything that's going to fundamentally change the way you underwrite price select risk. Um, and so we do that on your, you know, the things you'd expect us, natural natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, um, wildfire. You know, we, you, know, you can tell we're, we're busy when we're talking about those things. We need to tell this community that. But also on the man-made um, disasters as well that we're seeing. We've covered riots, explosions. Um, the longest event that we are covering uh, is the conflict in Ukraine. So we're monitoring that daily as well. Um, looking at how areas are changing, properties that have been destroyed, uh, key infrastructure impacted, access to ports, those sorts, yeah. sorts of things. Um, and our responsibility is, first of all, making sure that we can accurately um, represent what's happening on the ground as it's happening. Mm. So nothing that we're doing is modeled. Um, we're nothing's predictive. So we're, we're not competing with, uh, you know, cat models, for example. We, we see ourselves as a complementary service. We can say, this is what the model might say. This is what your underwriting assumptions were. But these are your exposures. And this is what's happening on the ground around those exposures as we speak. Yeah. And we'll be using things like um, device data so we can see, you know, our roads open or not. We'll be looking at what does the satellite tell us? Do we need to send an aerial plane over to capture some high resolution imagery? I mean, we had hail event in the UK this week. You know, it's yeah. difficult to see any <laughs> impact of that from a satellite. Do we need to deploy a drone team? Um, so we'll make use of a variety of data sources and providers to, to build an accurate position, a representation of what's happening on the ground. Yeah. Um, and then crucially, this comes back our point about making it useful and actually um, accessible, mm. tying it back to your exposure. So there's no good me saying, oh, here's a picture of a damaged property. You need to know, is it one that you insure? How damaged is that property? Um, what portfolio is it part of? Who's the broker? And all that information needs to be accessible to you at the moment we tell you something's happened. Yeah. Um, f- for us to have a product that actually is useful and not just creates another 10 questions or another 10 processes for your staff. Yeah. Um, so that so people always want to talk to us about the the cool pictures and, you know, like what, what how does a satellite stay in space and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. And, and what I want to talk about is exposure data quality and how we link it to uh, <laughs> geo, geospatial resolutions. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you don't get many friends 
doing that. But that's the important <laughs> it's, it's thing. It's a lonely right? space. It's a lonely <laughs> space. But those who you know are interested in geocoding and yeah. building um, building quality data, you, you realize how important it is. And yeah. another thing about the product is exposure managers have a tough job because they're sat there telling people, please be worried about the individual locations on this significant strategic policy. Please be worried about capturing the loss at individual locations on this really complex uh, you know, case aggregate loss. Yeah. And they're the only ones often championing for that, certainly historically um, anyway. And our product really raises the value of the data assets they're capturing to the claims community because suddenly claims handlers and people making decisions about do we put you know do we issue an additional living expense to this family Mm. they suddenly can see the value of that data because they now know you know the the roof has been blown off uh it was put on on this day it had solar panels okay just make the payment yeah and and it's it's really trying to service those strategic data sets and make them valuable across a chain of uh you know, people responding. Well, yeah. And when you think about, you know, those significant events where yeah. what you oftentimes have happening is the industry sees it coming, especially with like natural catastrophes and things, but less so for obviously um, political events, but there's various storm trackers and events and everyone's sort of watching it come in and, and they'll model kind of broadly what are numbers saying yeah. it might be. But when, when something is hit landfall, when the event is occurring or has occurred very recently, there's this need for like the exec of these insurance companies to have like a day by day brief of what's happening today. Where is stuff at? Is the is are these projected lost numbers yeah. becoming accurate? Like where do we do we need to make you know um, uh, excratia sort of claims payments? Do we need to exactly. go out above and beyond to do certain things to get in front of this or not? Um, and and having that information several weeks later is much less valuable than sort of getting these sort of very high um, fidelity views of what's happening as of right now with whom specific properties, because then you can really lean into the value proposition that we promise to, to, you know, insureds. Um, Do you see then that this is the primary point of sale is towards the insurance company so they can deliver value to the insureds or do the reinsurers also find a lot of value in sort of getting this level of, of detail and information? So today we've we've got more clients using it from an insurance perspective mm-hmm. and um, sort of loss adjusting perspective. Um, but we're starting to get a lot more interest with the reinsurance community because suddenly we've built up this catalog of events. So it's not just useful during an event and that immediate event response where you're sort of triaging on the ground resources, but but also in terms of looking at how do different books perform over time across different event sets. Um, and so we're starting to see that more from sort of a, an underwriting perspective um, of interest to the reinsurance community. And indeed, because we have access to um, you know lots of different building stock data, we can start to surface some of that information. Say, well, is this useful um, pre-event? You know, not just in in the event response. Um, I still think, though, a lot of the questions we're getting from reinsurers tend to be at a, a macro level. They want to know so how did this event perform in general, and how aligned was it to our models? Yeah. Whereas the the insurance questions are much more specific about what did what happened in this policy mm. and why did location X and location Y not recover in the same way and what does that mean for underwriting? Yeah. 
um, like I said, I think because we've built up this historic catalogue now and we're building it every day, I think we've got about three ongoing events today, you know, yeah. um, it's starting to be useful for that reinsurance community in more of a predictive nature. Yeah. Well, in, in that granular data as you build, and this is, I think it's an important strategy in, you know, in your role, obviously, but when you think about product in our space, you have sort of phases of that, right? Mm -hmm. The first is delivering like profound value for this specific use case. Yeah. And, and you really lean into that, but it doesn't take very long at all to that value to then begin to aggregate yeah. and present other really interesting, additionally valuable points you can go towards. And when you think about that level of granularity and fidelity um, of these types of events, and you begin to aggregate that, and then you can just sort of let the actuaries run wild on it. Yes. Like there's so much interesting stuff they yeah. can do of going, oh, we should begin to introduce these various adjustments and nuances to the policies okay. we want to write or how we want to structure programs and those types of things. And, and it feels in many ways that this is sort of one of the stepping points of how this industry will continue to evolve, like the, the genesis in, in many ways of what new products the insurance industry might create yeah. come from, right? Is yeah. going, oh, we saw these things with a, you know, riots and civil commotion sort of, yes. pr you know, event. Yes. What might that look like for new products in this space? Yeah, absolutely. And so we know that we're not going to have all the answers. We, we really, it's going to sound trite, but we need a collaborative relationship with, with, the, with our customers so we can start understanding well, what's important. And the modifiers and the question sets that we ask of our brokers might begin to change because of things we're observing when we create this geospatial representation of an event and we're already starting to see new features emerge or things that we thought were really really relevant that perhaps they're not as relevant as as we as they might have been or perhaps we don't need to ask about them we can make some assumptions and that's broad enough and I think doing that by understanding how you know an event actually performs. We're not talking about the claims that you received or the claims your student received. You're now seeing that within the context of what the event did, mm. not how it was modeled, not not the predicted sort of footprint. This is what this is what the damage was. This is how the book that you failed to win at last renewal performed. Mm. And suddenly we can start learning a lot more about how our products as an industry, you know, our general policies perform in these events. Yeah. Um, and when we look at communities, you know, all, all over the news at the moment, State Farm announcement um, regarding California, new business. When you look at communities like that, that are starting to, you know, as an industry, we have to do more. Mm. Uh, we hope our data can be useful and people say, okay, so which bits of this could we could we have taken and what do we need to do to make the other bit something that was that was you know um made business sense yeah. but also made our cover accessible to the people that really need it yeah and you're basing that on data observed data not predictions yeah um now i don't say get rid of the predictions we need them <laughs> but let, let's like have another lens that's yeah. challenge and the, the the models will challenge us as well and Going back to the collaborative point, we have um, insurers that will, will really push us and say, but you, you, you told me that building was severely damaged. We didn't observe that. What happened? Mm. And we can start going through it and picking the data and 
that for us has meant we've had to get new suppliers or weird and wonderful ways of understanding that a building wasn't accessible because it looks great. It wasn't impact. It didn't seem to be impacted, but we can see X, Y, and Z happened in the contingency line that we need to pick up on on a sort of a, yeah. a bigger scale. So I think that constant learning, but really having the confidence to take a product outside of its initial intended use case. You know, we were event response and just take it away and say, well, okay, what happens if you were looking at this from an underwriting perspective? What happens if you were looking at the business that you failed to successfully win last year mm. and applied the event to that? How would you, how would your pricing strategy have changed? Yeah. And those sorts of conversations are now happening and it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, well, and it's, and you, you said something that resonates a lot with us as well is this need and willingness and desire to collaborate with your clients around yes. what are the next most important things now that we can do this and a lot of times those those second tier solutions only emerge once you've done that first tier it's like we've yeah. done this now and they go this is so valuable and you go what do you care about now yeah. well now that we have this new thing now we'd love to do be able to do this You're like yeah. okay and you and you make that iteration i think one of the things you see a number of, especially early stage f startups in our space, do is they try to just come and say, this is where we're going to go. We're going to do all of, yeah. this will be our product and how we're going to yeah. transform the industry. Yeah. And they try to take that that journey alone. And, and in reality, the most effective way is to build something valuable and work with your clients around now that you have this new asset, mm -hmm. how can we add more value? And you continue to do that. The other thing that made me think, and I'm wondering if, you, if you're doing any work here, is... Um, the need to understand how we're delivering, how the how the insurance is performing, in and in the sense that like you'll oftentimes have governments sort of evaluating the the performance of that, and it's less about maybe the the COR, but more about if if the loss ratio is zero on a book, the the government you know the regulators aren't going to be thrilled about that. They want to have it where this is a product that's being paid for, but also being put to use. Yeah. And are, are you having conversations with governments and regulators and these types of people as well in a, in a way to evaluate the performance and the value that it's being delivered to communities? Not directly. Yeah. I mean, if, if any of you are out there, let's chat because I think it's a really <laughs> good idea. But we are indirectly through the insurers in mm. support of their scenario scenario um models mm. you know when they're doing their own stress tests um but I, I think that's super useful because again it's it's all about how do we help keep insurance relevant mm. and as an industry how do we build products and services and structure policies that mean communities who need cover can afford it and the cover is responsive to their needs um so one of the things we're doing is working with um some smaller organizations who are looking at how do you feel the gap between um, what a client is able to pay for insurance and where an, an insurer can come down to? Mm -hmm. And that middle between willingness and ability to pay and traditional policy starting is, is a gap. And we, we're seeing some interesting uh, solutions come there. You know, we all talk about pyrometric quite a lot, but mm -hmm. some data solutions, some of them driven by the traditional markets as well. And our products can sort of support there of saying, not just in the acting as a trigger, hey, an event's happened, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to give rise to one of these losses, but perhaps you need to structure your policy here. Mm -hmm. And if you had, this is how your book would have, this is how your risk profile would have changed for the last hurricane. Yeah. Or this is how you would be responding to wildfire right now. Um, 
and yeah we're getting a, a lot of uh, interest especially on events like hail and wildfire mm. to, to actually say well let's use this to develop more innovative products or use it as a way to access the traditional products yeah i don't think all the traditional policies need to change yeah uh, but there's a gap and and i'm i hope our, our data can be used in terms of the the zero percent loss ratios <laughs> yeah we we know that not many of them exist anymore <laughs> someone out there might be writing some lines but yeah. um but I, I think it's a really good challenge, and I think again, as an industry, how do you how do you balance that and diversify your risks? So you're writing in those, you know, talking about the basics of pricing, but yeah. it's you're writing in those places that, that you can, you know, stomach the loss and actually help you support those areas that are mm. are high risk. And it's going back to the principles of you know, risk, premiums of the many, risks of the few, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. We can show you that on a global basis. Yeah. I think as an industry and, you, you know, in corporate, you kind of stick to your swim lane. You're like, I'm a property underwriter and, and I write in my territories. Mm. And I'm hoping that our products can continue to deliver value that brings people up above and says, oh, actually, I need to collaborate with different providers or I need to collaborate with different people within my same organization. Yeah. And we can solve problems, you, you know, that we haven't been able to see before. Yeah, and I, I think when you look at the ambition of the industry more broadly, especially in that that gap that we were talking about a second ago, it's becoming increasingly important to solve for that. Mm. And you have simultaneously um, income disparity growing worldwide yeah. um, and a concentration of wealth um, being sort of more and more to the fewer. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you have an ever- increasing sort of change in climate, which is causing more severe and more frequent events worldwide, um, and increasing geopolitical tensions worldwide. So not only are you having uh, the ability to afford insurance in its traditional role, yeah. becoming increasingly you know, uh, centered around certain geographies and certain economies, but you're having a worldwide sort of imbalance in ways that creates the risk pool that is larger. And I think it's going to be increasingly important to look at how can we use data mm -hmm. to help understand where policies can and should fit? How can we use that data then to encourage or incentivize government programs to assist where they can or yeah. pool programs or whatever else it might be? But if we can have data that fits that, that the actuaries can begin to lean into, yeah. it creates a really interesting way for us to go, this isn't unsolvable. No, exactly. It's just... We need a little bit more help. We need a little few more tools. We need a little bit more support yeah. in solving them. And, and let's bring it to life with real examples as well, because it's so easy to think, well, this is our process. This is our policy structure. But to really challenge it, bring it to life with this is what's happening on the ground. The people that hold a bit of paper and say, I'm protected by this company. Mm. And, and so I think, you know, just... I don't want to challenge indemnity too much on this podcast, but if you think about, we, we observed it in um, Australia with the, um, the Queensland flooding. Yeah, sorry, the Queensland flooding. Um, we saw homes and businesses being washed away and, you know, because of lots of innovation in the market and our good work by insurers and reinsurers, those properties rebuilt mm -hmm. very quickly. But then they were washed away again. 
Mm. And, you know, do we, we need to challenge ourselves about how we support communities in terms of their overall resilience, not just doing what we said we would do well. And we've got good at that. And as an industry, we've always been criticised for, you know, it's in the small print, they don't pay out. And all. Mm. Well, I, I, I think that's kind of like thought terminating to say, oh, no, we, we did what we said we were going to do. We now need to do better. We need to challenge ourselves and think about long-term resilience and framing ourselves as the risk partner to our clients. Yeah. And, and again, taking it back to the MIS products, whilst we're not interacting directly with your clients, we're trying to arm you with the bigger picture and, and not from a modeled perspective. Like have real conversations with the people designing your po products, the people designing your policy structure of the reinsurer. Show our product, show what's actually happening. Use it as a tool to say, this is why we want to change. This is why we want to try something different. Um, well, I think you have it where the insurance community for a decade or two now has begun, has constantly built that drumbeat of like, how do we add more value? How do we do more? Mm. And I agree with you. I think the model of going, you paid, I paid you premium for this vehicle yeah. and I crashed that vehicle and getting the, a new vehicle or the money back or whatever it might be like that works. Yeah. And if you're paying your premiums on time and you haven't lied about what your yeah. asset is, like the industry is very, very good at doing those things. But how do we add more value? How do we do more? How do we build in that resilience is something that we've been working towards for a long time. And I think we're making improvements, but these are the types of things that begin to really unlock the creativity of how does the insurance industry step in and do more yeah. than just provide the indemnity when they're on the hook for it. Yeah, they exactly. always have done, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Just, just on that, I think um, it, going back to our first point about let's not be too hard on the industry because mm -hmm. it's tough and we're working in a highly regulated environment. It's so easy for us to sit here and be like, we can do all these things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I was at a, a conference recently and uh, as one of the speakers said, I have a lot of people come to me with great ideas and I have to tell them, I love your idea, but it's completely illegal mm. because they don't <laughs> you know, fully appreciate the regulatory space that we're in. And thinking about some of the you know, things we see in the States with you must send um, uh, an, an adjuster, an investi a, a loss assessor to the site. Mm. So me coming to you and saying you can adjust it remotely from my tool is, is useless and I'm wasting your time. But if I know that that's the 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 area you're operating in and that's what you're required to do and we can talk about how you can use my product in other ways but also how do we influence regulation it's massively influencing us but as an industry how do we say hey actually there's technology out there and there's tools out there that we've now tried and tested in other areas on other events maybe we can revisit yeah. some of the stuff that that um in some cases holds us back not in all cases yeah. but in some cases does as an industry kind of keep us where we are yeah well and and this is where you really see difficulty with innovation in our space yeah um <clears throat> is you have it where <clears throat> um so many times creative solutions emerge yeah um but if you look at you look at the consumer space and this is not intended to promote illegal behavior, but you, you, if you look at the comparison between Uber or Airbnb, both those companies fundamentally broke the law around can you pick up and ride sharing? Is this allowed? Can you rent your spare rooms as little miniature hotels and all? Like, no, you cannot. Um, but 
it got so much adoption that they were then able to force the regulators to change their positions on things because the consumers loved the product so much and it allowed for innovation to essentially force and force a sea change in the regulation. Mm-hmm. That does not, that's not how reinsurance or insurance will work, right? You, yeah. We will never have it where it's like, well, we decided to not follow the regulation <laughs> in this state and therefore- Endorsed like, by the reinsurance <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> Despite our glowing endorsement, we do not allow you to break the law. Um, But so you're sort of then forced to say we would love to influence regulation, Mm -hmm. but that is not a boat that turns very quickly, right? So you have it where I absolutely agree that the the regulators need to support innovation, especially in mundane ways. If we can get 4K drone footage of sites... Yeah. Why does it say you have to send a human out to look at that thing and they're going to get on a, a ladder against a rickety building? Yeah. And like, Put themselves w- in danger two <laughs> weeks later. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. right. So we're saying we can look at this in real time with greater accuracy and more data mm-hmm. with nobody being in, in risk and we can do it in real time mm-hmm. if only you'd let the law regulators yeah. change that. But these are the sort of constraints in which the industry also operates where amazing ideas are coming out, but you're right. Yeah. We'd love to, but it's illegal. But yeah. And and there is no sort of loophole that yeah. we can deploy as an industry in the way that you can in the consumer space. Yeah. And I think you're right. And I love the Airbnb and Uber analogy. But I think you're going back to the you know, a loss assessor going out and actually inspecting a property. I think we need to prove that innovation doesn't mean loss of expertise. Mm. It doesn't mean that you take humans out and you change a process, you know, and we just make it all robotic. And you know, a lot of these things that are emotive for people and fear for people. I think if you've ever dealt with someone who's put in an insurance claim you know the power of having a, a human I remember you know I've, I've actually been in the call center and spoke to people who have been on the side of the road I've just had a car accident and with a second call they've made after the ambulance it's you need a human I, d- I don't want an app at that moment um and you want the assessor there but what happens if that assessor could be there um with an answer what happens if the assessor could say last week we, the drone flew and these are the pictures of, of the damage of your roof and this is what we're going to do about mm-hmm. it. And this is why your insurance policy is responding in a way that feels odd. Here, here's the answer. When I see you, I, I've got, I can give you the emotional support that actually is, is silent on our policy wordings but is, is certainly expected. Yeah. I can actually do that and I'm here as an expert. I'm just giving you a better service now. Yeah. And I think sometimes... We, we kind of get a bad name of innovation means fewer people and it means, you know, it, it's all going to be app driven and, and stuff yeah. like that. I don't see it that way. Yeah. And I don't know how we convince the people that's the case without, you know, doing the Uber way and just getting on with it and, and, yeah. and bringing it to life. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's what we do. We keep loss adjusters going out at the time, but they have, you know, products like mine on their phones um, and they can actually show it to people and bring it to life and that becomes the expectation. Yeah, well, I think that additional information is so valuable, right? Mm. When it's, especially when you're in this hyper emotive state of just having experienced a catastrophe, you know, you've, you've fled your home because the hurricane's coming through, you've seen the news footage. Um, The, I remember when I first came into the industry, this was one of the products that I thought was so like, 
excellent the insurance industry did, but where it was these events would happen and the insurance would pay out like 10 grand for you to be in a hotel up front. You know, yeah. I was like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it is. I, I, yeah, yeah. I hold that that's a great service. Yeah. But if you're sitting there in your hotel 4,000 miles from home, um, maybe not that far. It's not that big of a hurricane. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's already busy we'll out there. We'll see. Yeah, well, maybe maybe in a decade we'll have. <laughs> um, but you're you're hundreds of miles from home, um, and you you have no no information to update on. Yeah. Right. You call the insurer. You're like, what's happening? I'm like, well, you have your hotel money. And you're like, great. Do I have a house? What? What? Yeah. And if if they can be able to sort of pick up the phone and and give you an update of here's what's happening. This area is quite badly done or not as badly done as some of the other areas. Here's what we sort of see. Yeah. Um, we won't be able to get in there and start doing more clear up or anything else to tell this point, but we've the drones have come in. We have all these shots. This is where we see like this is a total loss or yeah. this looks like some flooding, but you're like give you some sense. Like the not knowing in those moments of like deep trauma, yeah. the not knowing is the worst thing. Totally. So if, if your insurer can be the person who puts someone on the phone and that person knows things, yeah. that is an immense asset. Absolutely. And and more and more insurers could be doing that um, during these like critical moments when policies actually matter. Because yeah. until those moments, yeah. it's the monthly bill I pay each month or yeah, it's the exactly. annual policy that renews it. Exactly. It doesn't have that sort of emotive value. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we, we talk about the monthly bill, it's peace of mind that you're buying. As soon as you have a bad claims experience, yeah. that monthly bill becomes even more a grudge purchase because yeah. you, you're not buying peace of mind. You're buying, really hope I never have to deal with them again. Yeah. Um, but, but also using that to say, hey, when you come for your renewal, as an industry, we know what happened in that event. You don't have to drag it all up and talk to us about it. It's still emotional. Mm. You, you know, you lost your business three years ago. We know. And we're, we're pretty good at sharing information across the industry. Mm. We can be better. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes having you know, products that allow you to go and ask the additional questions to a product rather than the, the person who experienced the loss, yeah. I think is a nice buffer. Yeah. And if it, if it takes out two of the five follow-up questions, I, it's already changed that experience fundamentally. Yeah. Well, I think it becomes as well a resource for the the sales community of the of our products. Yeah. If we can go to those people who've lost businesses and say, we understand this much more now. We've introduced this is all the different elements. Even if it's like new parts of policy that they can purchase for additional um, money, they're like, here's how we're structuring this now. You can have these things included automatically. Additional premium applies for these additional things, and this is why they exist in this way, and this is how we've thought this through better. Mm-hmm. Like, it gives that salesperson a vastly more powerful toolkit, yeah, to build a a product that's fit for purpose, yeah, agree. for various people and businesses. And I think you know, to get to the point where it's a product that a salesperson can use, you need some happy actuaries, mm-hmm. and you re- they really need to be really happy actuaries, yeah, and. Using claims data isn't going to cut it because you've never structured a policy that way. So how do you know what your how your claims would have developed if that was your policy structure? Well, that's why we want to make more of these events accessible to actuaries and the underwriting community so they can start running their own scenarios and stress tests and, and understanding where their um, you know, comfort levels are for risk, their appetite is based on no experience writing in that state, in that country, for that peril, structured that way at all. Yeah. And they're not relying on a model. The model's there 
to help them work out where the challenge should be. But the model's also based on traditional policy structures. Mm -hmm. So like, let's break it all for a bit and see if we rebuilt it based on client need up, what could we be left with? And again, one of the things we're trying to do with the product is put enough of a framework around it that it's immediately useful and easy to use at the point of an event. But without making sure that we can break down that framework and turn it back into its raw parts. So you can use it for working out, how do I change my policy structures going forwards? Yeah. Well, and it's a similar approach in some ways to how we look at it, where we're not here to give you the answers, but we're here to give you all of these tools you can deconstruct and like, you will go find things that are interesting and that's where you should be spending your time and your value and providing that value, especially for, you know, the likes of actuaries and things. Um, But but you're not saying like, well, this is how you should do it. This is what the answer looks like. It's it's let us help you sort of run at this. Let us allow you to deconstruct it more, break it into various chunks or views that you might care about and hope that and expect that the creativity of the professionals in our industry will emerge with like net new way of solving problems and yeah. adding value. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And we're seeing it. We've seen some really cool stuff come out of, you know, opportunities to collaborate and look at things in a different way um even the sorts of feedback we're getting in the market about you know let's take something like hurricane ian a a huge event affecting multiple states over multiple days um multiple perils in force at that at that time we've got evacuation orders uh being followed in some territories and not in others is all the complexity you can imagine we've got some data providers comfortably providing data in other areas that that's not consistent with what we see elsewhere and it's just everything together mm-hmm. um but but when we we aggregate it up into this this thing that's useful during the event the feedback we're getting is please can you make it more simple please can you make it more simple so i know which phone to pick up first which you know loss adjuster to call first and and to, so i can figure out what's happening and then two weeks later, can you break it all back down again? Because I now need to talk to my underwriters and figure out what did we do well? What could we do better? And what do we know for next time? Yeah. And we need to be able to oscillate between that. And that's yeah. what makes this quite interesting. Because, yeah. And you see different ways that the industry is solving the problem. But fundamentally, I'm putting out two versions of a product. And I get to see who's using it in different ways. And you see the ideas moving around the market. Yeah. And things are happening. Like we will get there. Yeah. Um, we just got to keep that level of flexibility. Yeah. No. For sure. And and, and it's it's the right way to approach it because you yeah. give that flexibility to the clients, and then they go into which mode that they get the most value from. If we sort of look forward, then over the next sort of three five years, what are the things that most excite you? Whether that's MIS tools that you guys are working on now, or things you're seeing as sort of a sea change or a shift in the industry. What is sort of Big <laughs> so at, at, at MIS, you know, um, we've we've got we've proven the value of our product and a multi-source approach. Um, we've proven that it works, and we've let the claims develop, uh, and we can show that our product is accurate and can be trusted. So that's great. So now we're thinking, well, how do we apply that same process and model, the framework that we use, to other problems, i.e. The underwriting use case so we're we're there when the events happened you incepted the risk and now you've got to deal with it but how can we have helped you understand 
how whether or not to accept the risk or how much to charge for that risk or what are the features of that risk that mean you need to deploy a different product set. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited about that and we've, we've, we're moving more into, into that space um, and again, bringing it all into the same platform. So you've got underwriters collaborating with claims and exposure management as it's happening. Yeah. Excited about that. Um, but I think from an industry perspective, I'm seeing that, and you'll probably observe similar, that the insured tech space is as alive as ever. We're starting to have more of a focus and more of a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that was asked of me recently is, well, you talk about how difficult it is to be an insure tech and the sales cycle is very slow. How do people survive, especially in the sorts of investment um, uh, environments that we, we've had since the pandemic? Um, and and it's you're starting to see the industry say we do need to pay these guys for proof of concepts, mm-hmm. and you don't need to pay us. Uh, you know, it's not extortionate amounts. It's but paying us to build new products and features and test them with you helps us survive. And us surviving is is good. Yeah. Um, and I'm starting to see the insure tech community sort of move with more purpose on that. Mm-hmm. We're kind of expecting a bit more. Yeah. Um, with my insurance hat on before, I might have been like, oh, you guys. <laughs> but but now I'm here, I, you see the energy yep. and it's working and we're starting to see more insurtech succeed, which is good for, for the whole community, the, the reinsurers, you know, brokers, everyone. Yep. Insurtechs that, that survive is good and insurtechs that don't is also useful because we mm-hmm. all understand why didn't that work. Um and again, I keep saying the word collaboration is so like, try it again. <laughs> really, the collaboration between insurtechs as well. I, it's yeah. a friendly space. And I think we can all give more to our industry if we say, how can we work together? You know, you have a product that seems to be getting traction. I've got a solution that they need. I just don't know how to package it. Yeah. I can't survive the sales cycle, whatever it may be. Let's collaborate. Um, and we're we're super keen to to do that. Yeah, I, I we're, we're certainly seeing that, and and I think it's a couple things. I think it's that we're in a second wave of insure techs now, where at least for the companies that build products for enterprise, we've shifted entirely away from like how we disrupt and break models yeah. towards a what are the pain points that people have and how can we help solve them? Yeah. Um, many of us come from roles in the industry where we've seen firsthand what the experience is like. Um, I think you're exactly right again in that the collaboration across these tools is way, way higher. So yeah. we we don't go into like independently. They're going like, oh, if you're doing a, some modernization work and you're working with them, we already know how to talk to their data or like these types of things. And there's this depth of value being added Mm. and when you have that clarity of value that you're providing it's much easier to then for them to be like well you're obviously doing all these things we're happy to you know pay even for pilots but then also the bigger longer term contracts because there's clarity there i think in that first real wave of just innovation for the sake of innovation right it was um innovation as charade or innovation as costume it was like let's do it you have a team of people who said i'm beanbag it's like (laughs) <laughs> it's quite obvious why we had to move away from that yeah. model and move the people who are interacting with innovation units to being the underwriters, to yes. being the act, active actuaries yes. and these people. So you're seeing that shift, which I also yeah. am looking at the next sort of five years with a lot of excitement around where this industry will begin to plug these things together. Do you think, do we still need the word insure tech? 
I'd like to, I'd like to abandon it, but <laughs> that's a, that's a podcast for another day when, okay. when, when you come back for round two. Okay. Okay. Rosina, absolutely delightful conversation. Thank you for joining us on the reinsurance podcast. Thank you so much. Until next time, everybody.